Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Right, if you ask me, today's Blackwater Motors competition is the hardest we've done so far this week. Day four, 250 euro to give away every day. Give you more details as we go through the morning but you need to get your listening gear around this one because I think this is the toughest one we've had so far this week who is this celebrity motorist now there's a clue in here what the hell did you bring that for put it away just here put it in my purse tell me good lord that's a toughie alright I need the actress's name alright what the hell did you bring that for put it away just here put it in my purse tell me good lord all right, I've given it to you straight out of the blocks because I think it's a tough one. Coming up later this morning, he must be one of the most instantly recognisable people in the hospitality industry in Cork. He, he was the fella in the bowler hat and the tails uh, up and down, or the top hat and tails rather, up and down the Metropole for years, up and down McCurtain Street. Then he moved down to Fota, and he's the gaffer down there in charge of all of their concierge operations. John Coleman picked up the highest honour in his profession this week. He was awarded the prestigious Golden Keys. It's an elite group of concierges. Talk to him uh, during the morning. Also, if you're a bit of a gardener and fancy a job, an unusual job with an incredible view of the city, then listen up. We've got that coming. And also, Professor Luke O'Neill will join us this morning, but not to talk about COVID, but something else entirely. He has been away helping the Ukrainian refugees in a humanitarian capacity. So all that's to come. Between now and 12 today, another listen, one of the few listens to our Blackwater Motors competition. But there's a, there's a story in the newspaper this morning in the Echo, which says that there was no HAP property available in either Cork City Centre or suburbs during a three-day period last month. How many people do we hear about 
who say, well, I'm eligible for HAP, but there's two problems. One, I can't get anywhere that'll take HAP. And secondly, the HAP payment isn't enough. Then the, the second part, that is what it is, but there's nowhere available uh, taking HAP. That, that seems to be the big problem. Um, and, and I will be talking um, to, to, to Ellen later. Um, I talked to Ellen before, and I've been talking to her again, and her situation has just gotten worse. Added to that... There's seems to be, because I'm not too sure there are any recorded figures as such, seems to be a dramatic surge in the numbers of people being evicted since Christmas. Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould. There are probably no official figures out there, Tom, are there? So we're going entirely on, on anecdotal evidence, but you're getting a lot. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yes, PJ, I have clinics every Monday and Friday, and in the past, I would get one family or individual who would come in to me and say that they had a notice to quit, which is an eviction. That's what it is. And they would be given their four or five or six months, depending on how long they're living in the house to get out. Every week, though, the average is four a week. Some weeks it could be as high as six, where people and families are coming in to me with their notice. And what we saw, we saw this happening before Christmas, but once they're noticed, kicks in, they're becoming homeless now. And what we do have is we do see from the Cox City Council's own homeless figures. Last year we had 402 people homeless in Cork. Now we're up to 457. So that's an increase of over 55 people on the same period last year. And what we're seeing, PJ, is families being becoming homeless because the landlords are saying they're selling the property or they're moving the family member in. And what, should, what we're saying, our solution is that when people rent a property, it should be for an indefinite duration, that the landlord can't get them out as long as they pay their rent. Mm. So, like, that's what you would see in other European countries, France, Belgium, Luxembourg. Well, well, hold on now a minute, Thomas. You, you can't start telling owners of private property what they can do with their property. If I'm rent, if I own a house and I'm renting it, or I own an apartment and I'm renting it to somebody, with the best will in the world, if I decide I've had enough and I want to sell, or I want to move my son in or my daughter in, then I'm, I'll be damned if I let the government stop me. But PJ, at the end of the day, if you're into renting old accommodation, right? People have should have rights. Indeed, indeed. And what we're, what we're seeing now. And what we're also seeing is landlords using them as excuses. But what they're actually doing is they go in, they paint the property, and they rent it out for four or five hundred euros a month extra. Sure, but you haven't so addressed. You haven't addressed what I said, Thomas. You know, private property is private property. If a person decides but, to remove their property from the system, that is their inalienable right. No, well, teacher, what we're saying is no. If you decide to become a landlord and you decide to rent out your property, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't throw a family over to the side of the road. Oh, no, no, I'm Just, not suggesting that for a well, minute. Peter, if, if you buy a house... Well, I'm suggesting that you daughter. give people notice, absolutely. You give them plenty of notice, like six but months' the, notice, 12 months' notice. But you can't stop people taking their property out of the market. Well, people, what we're seeing is that's used as an excuse. Like, if every, if every landlord was moving their kids into their properties, right? Mm. But that's not what's happening. It gives people a loophole to get out. And what we're seeing is, like, I, I know places now where people were playing, they say, eight or nine hundred euros a month rent. 
direct use was used. They were moved out, and yeah. three months later, I was renting back out for fifteen and sixteen hundred no. euros. Not going to argue with you on that one at all. And but you know what? There's another problem. Thomas, and it's repeated, and only recently someone else told me that they were going through it here on the programme. So, your landlord comes to you today and says, look, with the best will in the world, I'm selling the property, and we'll say this is genuine now, I'm selling the property, the property is my pension, I'm retiring, I'm selling the property, and look, I need you gone by the 1st of October, let us say, right? Yes. When will homeless services talk to you, Thomas? They will talk to you when you're being evicted. And On the 1st of October. There's the and problem. That's big problem. Rather and than targeting the landlord, target that. No, we actually, would you believe no PGO we have? Because Simon, Simon brought out a, a proposal that Sinn Féin actually put forward and it was passed by the Doyle. And what it is, is to give, um, it gives people... It gives local authorities three months to work with people mm. who are at risk of becoming homeless. Absolutely. So, but the problem, PJ, we put forward, it was Simon's proposal, we put it forward, all the opposition uh, supported us, the government supported us, and then the government don't do anything on it. So yeah. what we have here is a solution. And the, PJ, sometimes you... Well, it's not even me. a solution, Thomas. What it is is, and uh, I've spoken to, to people who've cried down the phone to me, and they've said, look... You know, I go down to the homeless services office and I say, I'm going to be homeless on the 1st of September. And literally, without using so many words, will come back to me on the 1st of September. So you're there with your children crying and your hands hanging to you going, well, what am I going to do now? PJ, the trauma the families are facing Eh, at the moment, right? I said the trauma families are facing at the moment when they're going in and becoming homeless. And I was telling Fiona there a second ago, I'm dealing with a girl at the moment who has a full-time job, has an income, a college graduate, and she's now in emergency accommodation because her landlord said that they were selling the house yeah. and she had to move out. Now, this is a lady who could rent the property. Like a lot of time when people talk about uh, homelessness, they think of people who maybe mental health issues oh, no, or you're who right. are. Yeah. Like what we have, what I'm dealing with now is families yeah. with husbands and wives working. Uh, and they can't find out. I use like PJ. If you want to look at the rent, you know. And one of the other solutions we have, PJ, is that if you want to sell the house, that we can buy the house with the tenants in it, and they can keep renting. Or another solution is that Cork City Council could buy the house. But at the moment, the government is blocking. Like we're trying to put forward solutions yeah. that will actually make a difference to people. Mind you, I, I, I knew of a house that was for sale a number of years ago, Thomas, and was offered to the council um, they said take it for cash because as you know they do the paperwork all the legal stuff is done and it's a quick sale right? Yes, and yes. They, they, they wouldn't have been interested you know why? Because to bring it up to health and safety standards they'd have to put the same amount of money into it again Well PJ, can I say this now? I spoke in the dialogue of the housing committee on Tuesday about vacancies right? We at the moment, there are 6,700 people and families on Cox City Council's waiting list. Yes. Plus, there's probably over another 3,000 on Hatton Ross, right? Yes, yes. Almost 10,000 families. And right now, in Cox City today, we have 9,415 vacant properties that are lying idle. 9,415? Yes. In, in the city? Oh, so, city and county. 
Because I have a, a call here that says there's over 400 empty houses in the city. Um, and and the, it's the, the job of the council. Houses. Yeah, but it's the job of the council to deal with those. Why aren't they being let out? Why, well, if I move out of a perfectly good council house? Here's another question we've been asking for years. I move out of a perfectly good council house on Friday. I'm moving out. I leave that house in mint condition. Yes. Why will that house be boarded up and still be boarded up in six months or 12 months' time? No one ever been able to answer that question. Well, t- I'll answer for you, please, yeah, because years ago when Phil Hogan was the Minister for Housing, I brought that to Cork City Council and to the Minister to move people directly in. Stop all this boarding up, right? It's crazy stuff when you're in the middle of a crisis. And when the department told me that that's something we couldn't do. And that's... that's, the, that's the, Did they explain why? They, they were saying that uh, for legal reasons, insurance reasons. But you know what it is, Peter? You know civil servants, right? They'll give you a hundred excuses to not to do things. What we're looking for is one thing that mm. will actually get things done. And if people, we right now in Cork, right? I you know places all over Shannon Street, Blackpool, empty. right across the city that are empty. Mm, boarded up. If you got if you got contractors in there, they turn around in a couple of months, and you'll be at the house. Hundreds of families. Here's the thing, Thomas. Some of them, when they're become vacant, all they need is to be cleaned and a lick of paint and yes. checked at everything. You could do a safety inspection in, in about two days and you could have the house out again in a month, a calendar month, live alone six months. Like, this is nonsense because I was talking to someone in the UK a number of years ago who worked in housing and I said, what would happen if a perfectly good house lay idle for six months? She said somebody would be sacked. And please, what happens then is when you leave a house idle for months, your house deteriorates. So it actually costs more to fix it. But please, it's the communities that are being destroyed by these empty houses with dumping and gangs and antisocial behaviour. What I think we're on agreement on here is, Thomas, I think the private landlord is not, yes, many of them, there are some of them who misbehave and they should be weeded out. But the private landlord particularly the small-time private landlord, he or she is not your enemy here. The enemy is the system that allows 400 vacant properties to be boarded up idle, many of which could probably be walked in and hang up your coat. Well, please, I would say that's part of the problem, but the big problem here is you have people becoming homeless every day at the yes. moment. Yes. And I'm raising the doyle, and I'm saying to the Minister, Darrell O'Brien, I, I tell you, PJ, if, if people listen to the Iraqis debate and what's happening up here, you would swear there's no housing crisis. The, the minister and the government, and I raised this with me hall, the Taoiseach, about what's happening in Cork at the moment, right? I, like, PJ, I had a woman with me on Monday, and she was in, in balls of tears. Yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, she's only four and a half years on the list, and I was telling her, She's probably not going to be housed because she's not long enough on the list. Gosh, that's ridiculous. And and I'm, but, see, I'm but you're telling her that and there's 400 places boarded up and you can imagine yeah. why she gets annoyed. And it's not even annoyed, Peter. She was heartbroken because she had two kids. Yeah. Right? Her husband was at work and she had nowhere. They were going to become, they were going to be evicted because the landlord was selling the house and... Yeah. I think, I think what has to happen, Thomas, and we can deal with the private landlords one way or another, but what has to happen, I think, is local authorities, public houses, in other words, and you're a public representative, yeah. public houses, the job of public representatives is to make sure that no publicly owned house 
that becomes vacant unless it's condemned by an engineer. No publicly uh, rented house that becomes vacant. That should not lie idle for more than a calendar month. Well, PJ, the, the problem here, and I remember discussing this with you a number of years ago, right, is the department of housing has to sanction all spending. So they say that's a house that becomes... No, no, that's, but that's somewhere. not... Would you agree with me on what I'm saying, of that principle? Oh, yeah. Well, PJ, I actually put forward a motion to Cox City Council when I was a councillor that a team would be set up in maintenance and their sole job would be to get these houses out within three months. Mm. That from when a person leaves the house or passes away, that within three months that house would be back and another family would be in there. To me, I thought that was a reasonable amount of time they're giving the people right. who live their time to get out. If you can turn these houses around in three months, but you know how long... You should be able to do it in six weeks. You should be able to do it in six weeks if the house is in good nick. Well, and the PG, first the first day an engineer walks walks the premises, you'll know whether it's in good nick or not. Well, PJ, at the moment, it's taken 64 weeks at least. Ridiculous. 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 And, we, and that's a bigger problem. With your respect, yeah. Thomas, that's a bigger problem. There, yeah. And there are there are private landlords messing around, and that should be stopped. But that's a, this is a bigger problem. How long stuff is lying idle? Like, are they I, still... Please tell me they're not, but I think they are. Are they still ripping out perfectly good kitchens, perfectly good bathrooms, ripping up perfectly good tiled floors and replacing them with basic? Well, would you believe no, PJ? I contacted council last week and again yesterday because I know the host that came, came uh, was returned to the council last week and this was a beautiful house. And they contacted the council to make sure that nothing is taken out of this house, that a family has put a straight in there because I yeah. know the family who left it. You, you could walk in there and hang up your coat. Yeah. There's some family you now uh, who might have young kids who might be starting yeah. off in life. And to them, to this house to them would, would be a life changer. Will that be stripped back? Life. Will that still be stripped well, back? Well, I've asked the council now because I got the family to take photographs of that house before they left because I want to make sure that house is given out the way it was got. Because at the end of the day, PJ, like most tenants keep their houses in beautiful condition, Agreed. right? Agreed. And when they, it's crazy then to see um, bureaucracy and red tape go in and rip it out, keep it boarded up for a year and a half. What we're looking for is move families in there. And PJ, I suppose... Why do they take the stuff out? Has anyone ever established that? Why do they take out a perfectly good kitchen or bathroom? They're saying it has to be their, their specifications. Crazy stuff. An engineer will certify that in an hour. An engineer will examine the kitchen or examine the bathroom and say, yep, that takes that box and that box and that box. Pass it on. PJ, I saw one, one time where they took out a fireplace where the people put in a fireplace, right? A beautiful fireplace. And the council came out, came out and took it out and put in a, a, a standard one. Now, the one that was in there had cost thousands, thousands. And they tore it out and put in the standard one. But I, I think the, the, the issue here this morning, PJ, and you kind of touched earlier about HAP, right? There mm. are no properties. Yeah. It's nothing impossible for people, no. people to rent. And what you have, like PJ, like the homeless figures are on the way up, but what you're seeing now is... People moving back in with their parents, they're moving back in with their grandparents. Yeah. You, have, you have 10, 11, 12 people living in three bedroom houses. It's really tough for people at the moment. And PJ, the people who don't qualify for social housing, who are earning more. Like, I dealt with a man this week who was very upset. He was 11 years on the list. He was getting offered a house this week from Cox City Council. Mm-hmm. And when they looked at his pay, 
he's going to toes and off the limits. That's just he, wrong. That's just wrong. 11 years on Lillispedia. That's just wrong. That be right. That's No, no, that, that will never be right. Thomas Gould, thank you very much for that. 0818 96 96 96. The private landlord thing, tell me if I'm wrong here. But if I own a house and I'm renting it out, I should be entitled to do what I like with it. Now, Kevin says, absolutely. If you want to take your second, third or tenth house off the market, that is your right. It's also the right of the state to tax you to the nth degree if you want to hoard a valuable asset. Well, that is true, Kev. That is true if I want to take it out of the market and let it sit there and gather value. Yeah, taxes, that's, that's, that's what that's for. There should be a crack squad of tradesmen that move in to avoid immediately certify and fix any problems for the council. There's a house in my estate, says this message, that is vacant for two years or more. Nothing wrong with it. This is a disgrace. Thomas is looking a a landlord contacted us. Thomas is looking for an excuse for the lack of government action on housing. By allowing people to have the right to stay in the house indefinitely, that'd be crazy. There's people out there not paying rent and leaving properties in an awful state. Will there be safeguards put in place to allow landlords evict them. It just cost me €13,000 to do up my rental property after the way it was left. Who pays for that? Me. And the man I was talking to a couple of weeks ago here, I, his name has gone out of my head, Jacob, but he had gone to live in Spain and rented out his house here. And when he came back, he couldn't get the tenants out. He's living in a van... He can't move them out. They haven't paid him a cent in six months. And he's been told, oh, could take you two years to get them out. See, it's, it's all swings and roundabouts. The, the, the landlords aren't all evil people, you know. But there's an awful lot of crap going on with, with council houses voided up that an engineer's inspection could say just how much they needed how much work they needed. Sharon, is it? We'll go straight to Sharon and then I'll do the break fee. All right. Sharon, good morning. You're on the opinion line. Good morning. How are you? Good. What's your own story? My own story is I have been on the council list for the last 10 years. I've been working since I was 13, I'd say. Um, During um, the recession, obviously, then I lost my job and stuff and then I went back trained again and I'm working in the most trade full time, okay? Good for you. So I um, have had my own. I was in a relationship for about 10 years and then that didn't work. So I'm back home again um, with my 10 year old child. So I was offered a house, a council house, after being on the list for 10 years. Um, I was offered it there recently. And when I sent in my pay slips and everything, they told me I was over by 40 euros. So they're permanently taking me off the council list now and they've taken my half away as well. That's just wrong. That's just morally wrong. That's morally wrong. So I have been in contact and the lady that I was dealing with, um, she told me even to go in and look at the house. So mentally, I think it's, it's wrong. I mean, where is the incentive? I'm at this stage, I'm like, because they don't take childcare into account because what I get of um, he's dead and stuff obviously if the child is living with you in this country then you're the sole carer and you're the sole provider so I have to pay a babysitter and everything and there none of that is taken into account I sent in receipts a letter from my employer because obviously I had to work more hours because we were essential at the time 
and none of that is taken into account. It's like tough look. Back to the end of the list. What what would be simpler for them to do would be to take your paperwork and say, Sharon, okay, look, you're over whatever limit they have by by 40 euro. And I have a full explanation for that. Fine, fine, you have. But here's the thing. What they could quite easily do is look, you know, we were going to give you the rent for, and I'm just plucking a figure out of the air. We were going to give it to you for 150 a week. We now need to charge you 175. I don't mind paying. I know that. I actually, I actually applied for a council loan. They told me I couldn't have that because I couldn't come up with the deposit. So I didn't have enough money. And now I have too much money. <laughs> you know, oh. I, I want some because I know other people who are getting houses. And I'm not pulling the I'm working card. I just want a front door to provide a house for my son, a home. Yeah. I don't think it's too much to ask. So I'm at the point now, will I just give up my job? Because I seem to be paying more. That's kind of what they have told me, is that, um, and I have a counsellor involved with it as well, and she has wrote them, this is going on with the last five years, and then last week, then it's just after coming to it. Tough luck, 40 years over, and I contributing since I was 13, 14. And, and working hard to do your best for your son, oh, that's just... I won't because I don't need curse. Because I have asked for an explanation of why there's other people who are getting houses that are two full-time jobs and they're still getting houses. Surely they're over 40. And I don't want to put it down. Everyone's situation is different. Yeah, yeah. I just want... Like, I'm but, still going to be paying um, money. Like, if, do you know what I mean? I'm still going to be paying rent. So I'm not looking for anything for free. No, you're not. There's no incentification to stay working. The child-minding thing and the cost of it, they don't take that into account either. Like, you know, I mean, okay, if if an employer has an on-site creche, then that's, some people are privileged with that way, but then they take them into account the same way as they do someone who's paying massive money to an off-site creche. Yeah. So you know, just because you've got the forty quid, like it doesn't—it's not—it's not like it's in your hand. It's not because I even sent in because even a Philip Diesel on my car is oh. gone up twenty-five euros, as I suppose it is for anyone else yeah, that's yeah. listening. So they, I gave them those receipts, and they said, "Oh, that's not accounted at all." Mm. You know what I mean? There's no um, because obviously everything is increasing, and yeah. the cost of living is increasing. Fuel, petrol, diesel, whatever. But it's just like, where is... Wouldn't you just want to bang your head off the wall sometimes? Well, when they told me... When when I sent in my stuff then and when they came back to me and they were like, oh, well, there was only ever a 20% chance you were going to get that house because I had asked her on the phone because I was sick of getting calls going, maybe, maybe, maybe. And she said, oh, yeah, that's a very good chance. And then she's like, oh, no, we never, we never told you that. I was like, mentally, that's not great. You know, it's depleting. <sighs> No. Soul destroy. And it's just by one email then it's tough luck back to the back of the queue. And but they said I they said because ten years ago you weren't earning as much. And Either. so I and bet I bettered myself. <laughs> you know? That's okay. I'll just I'll just move into a box and <sighs> that's and Sharon, that's that's awful. That is awful. So I would love for someone in the Cork County Council to give me an answer of why. Yeah. Because I'm uh, like I'm at this stage where I'm just going to be like I'm just going to run for the council elections next year myself. <laughs> That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I it look, would be. Interesting. I look forward okay. to inter- interviewing you on the campaign trail, Sharon. Thank you.
0818969696. She got bumped off the list and told, no, we can't actually give you that house now because you're earning 40 euros a week more than you were. Not like it's in her hand. It's on her payslip. But it's not like it's in her hand and they didn't take this receipt into account. Don't take that receipt into account. There are far more problems going on with the public housing system than are with private landlords. I would suggest the private landlords are picking up the slack for for a public housing system that that would appear to be banjaxed. Or am I wrong? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie we're adoring Adele. Are you thinking it's not easy on me? And has our love of Justin Bieber got you not wanting to stay? Give me what I want. Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. See 96fm.ie. Hi, PJ. There's a house in my estate that's vacant for two years or more. Nothing wrong with it. Absolute disgrace. John, there was a house near me. A family moved in, put in a modern kitchen and a styra. When they moved out, the council took out the styra, closed the attic, and took out the kitchen. Why? For goodness sake. No one's ever been able to explain that properly to me. Hi PJ, when my family moved back to Cork from Manchester in 2014, our six-bedroom council house was relet the next week. We moved out on a Wednesday and a new family were in on the Monday. Social housing here is ridiculous. Ridiculous is a very good word for it. Ellen, the last time you were talking to me, which was a few months back, you were in Adele House. Remind me, and listeners again, how you ended up there. I I was homeless. I ended up homeless because I'm in and out. I had not been renting from so many different places, you know. And I was living back at home, but I wasn't getting on at home. So I was in Cooley Refuge for a while, and they transfer. They put me to Adele House. And then I was in Clarny Guest House. Now I'm also in another hotel, which everyone have to be out in the next couple of days because there's uh, to the new contract up. So I don't know where I'm going to go next. Okay, so you, we'll, we'll take it from Adele House. The last time we spoke, you were living there. What happened then? I ended up in in argument with one of the girls and I, I was asked to leave. So they put me into the B&B. So, yeah, so you had a problem with someone in Nidel House and you had to leave there. And then you were in the B&B for how long? I was there for about um, five five weeks, I think. And then I came to this hotel in November and I'm here since then. Okay. The council found you that place, did they? It was. It was the council, yeah. 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 And it was the council who got you into the B&B after Nidel House yeah. was... Okay. I could get told right now that I could have to go in the morning. Everyone was getting no um, notice, not even 24-hour notice, that we just have to get and go. And why Why is that? Why is that? Because uh, there's a new contract. They're opening back up the bar and the restaurant. Everywhere else is opening back up. So all the people that they were having here, they have to leave. Okay. 
and I, I, my anxiety is after getting very bad and suffering from panic attacks again. And also after being hospitalised twice within the 10 months that I'm homeless. And then I'm also after catching COVID. I only have over that three weeks ago. Okay, okay. And have you been able to talk to the council? Have you had any information as to what might happen? No, I, I, they're not after notifying me with nothing whatsoever. Right. I got onto to Thomas School and I was supposed to meet him, but I'm so bad. Thomas School told me he'd help me in every way, but they're all promised me. But to be honest, uh, PJ, I'm not getting help from nobody. There's a load of boarded up houses around. I'd take anywhere at all, even a one bedroom place. Once I can go in my own door and call it my own home and go back to college, that's I what I want, you know? How did you find out that you'd have to be leaving? It was the staff that was telling us, well, it was the people that were living in here were told well, that they have to go. And we, we were told we'll get a, a, a month, cancer in a month, that is something like in a month. But everyone's asking out of there now in the last week. There's so many people after leaving within the last week, they're going by day. And, and where are they going, Ellen? Do you know? Some are after being, some are after being back to Vincent's, their park, a few other places. You know, but I, I don't want to go back to into Edel House again, you know? I know, I know. So what is this? I'm, I'm doing this 17 years. I'm doing this. I'll have to talk to the council all about this. And after writing letters, they have proof that I'm renting from them from the 1st of January 2003. You know, they never once offered me a home. I know. You know, all I want is a home, and I and I can't. I suffer from mental illness myself as it is. And how can I not get on with my life when this worry is constantly day in and day out? You know, how how's my health going to get any better? I know. Do you mind me asking how old you are, Ellen? I'm thirty four. I'm thirty five in July, and I'm out. I'm out, out on my own since the age of seventeen, renting from all different properties from then. And how do you feel now? I'm uncertain, anxious, I suppose. I'm, to be honest with you, my nerves were so bad. Going back a week ago again, I said charmed, and I didn't do it in years. I said charmed last week. Have you got anybody to help you with that? I, I, I'm only going to try to go back to counselling because I need counselling because I'm very, I'm actually hitting rock bottom again, you know? What would you like if, if someone could help you? What would you like? All I just want is a home to be able to go in my door and no worries that I know it's my own home. That's all I want, PJ. It's not much to ask for. Yeah. Have you been to Threshold? I'd have to be on the threshold, yeah. There's a girl, uh, I, I have to sign a consent for her, for her to get on to the, the council as well. Did you do that? I did, I did, but in the meantime, I was after catching COVID, so I had to isolate. So okay. the form is actually acting posted to her. Okay. You fear that you could be out in the next couple of days and you've no idea where you might might be going. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And it's going to happen. That's what the whole point when I'm getting anxiety because there's no more that I can do. It's out of my hands. It's going to happen. And it's reality. It is going to happen. You know, it's just only a matter of time. I could wake up in the morning and be told I'll have to go tomorrow. And that is the point. It should at least even give us a bit with one or two days' notice. But we're not getting no notice from the APS. It's just they're not even leaving the staff downstairs. No, it's not even going. It's not up to the staff. This is up to the APS when they're just like, telling more people to go and go. The, what is, you know? I know, I know. I know. I can tell from your voice you're, you're very nervous. I am nervous, like, you know. I was on the streets years ago. I don't want to go back down that road again, you know? I know. And have you any idea where you'll go if you are asked to leave this week? I don't have a clue. I don't know where. All I know is they said APS will help us.
I don't know where I'm going to go. It's up to them today where to go, you know. And have you been in, I know you were isolating with COVID and all that, but have you been on to them to say this is happening to you? Uh, well, the staff uh, were on to the APS because uh, one of the girls, one of the women came up and helped me and uh, brought me up some uh, lemonade and stuff for Jonah when I was in, you know, when I was isolating, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you, you have absolutely no idea what's happening. No, I don't, not, not a thing, no, no. Would you consider contacting APS yourself? I could, I could, uh, yeah. But all they're, all they're telling me is that, like, go look for somewhere for your own tap for 660, but there's nowhere for 660. I can't get anywhere, you know? I know. I'm after being on to TDs. I'm after doing this. I'm after trying everything. I wrote in appeals for my years to be backdated. All this, you know, and they're after, they, they cancelled my appeal. They said no. And it was on their grounds that what it was, there was only two mistakes ever. Once was a letter that didn't go back. Or else when they put me back on my mother's rent book in 2015, there were the two mistakes ever that could have gone wrong from all the time I'm renting from the council. I don't know what to say to you, Ellen, to be quite honest. Other than yeah. if, if, there's, if there's anybody listening who can help or knows might be able to help you, they can contact us and I'll put them in touch with you. How would that be? Yeah, that would be fine and I'd be grateful. Look after yourself, will you? Thanks. Thanks, TJ. I will, TJ. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Straight from our soil to your table. Griffin's Potatoes are simply nutritious and delicious. Courts 96 FM. Michael says 450 homeless people in Cork City, over 400 Cork City council owned houses lying empty. Forget about the private landlords. It's time the council got its act together and start housing homeless people. Veronica says they can put a tax on everything else, but they can't put a tax on empty houses and empty council houses barred up and nothing being done. Carla says fair play to Thomas Gould for raising the issue of the council houses. There's people on City Hall on big salaries making decisions. It seems to be impossible to get an answer from them. Ted Tynan on the houses all being shuttered up for very long periods. That's costing money too. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah. There's a, there's a number of elements, and I, I think the elephant in the room here, first of all, is... The market dictates everything, as you know yourself, Fergal, or PJ. Yeah. The market decides everything. And take, for example, of about 500 houses boarded up, um, the recently the, the government were prepared to fund the refurbishment of about 200 houses that would cost less than 8 or 10,000 euro per house. Yeah. And... I asked them, what about the houses that cost more than that? They were to be put on hold. Yeah. Meaning that there's probably two or three hundred houses owned by Cox City Council that are 
border up lying idle. That's because it would costing more than what the, somebody in the department put out a magic figure. Look, if Bureaucracy. it costs about eight or ten thousand. Bureaucracy. Repair and we'll give it the money. And so, that lastly, Ted, because I need to move on quickly. And thanks for the call. You're saying the shutters. The shutters, no, um, uh, um, PJ. And my my figures now are, are going back a year or two. But one house becomes vacant, border up for security reasons. A private company is called in. They put up the steel shutters, and it's the one with the steel shutters. They then start immediately charging yeah. 100 euro a week for six weeks and then 50 euro a week thereafter. So one house alone boarded up with steel shutters by a private company is costing over 2,000 euro per annum. Good Lord, there you go. Ted, thank you for that. You see, €2,000 per annum, that could go into a lick of paint, a safety inspection, anything. But no, they're shuttering up. People have no idea how much of taxpayers' money has been used for bills like that. Thanks, Ted. Appreciate it. 0818 96 96 96. Now, he must be one of the well most well-known faces in Cork hospitality. For a number of years, he was the fella in the top hat and tails going up McCurtain Street at all hours of the day and night. And then he moved and he's the man with the top hat and tails in Fota, in the Fota Resort, the five-star Fota Resort. I speak, of course, of John Coleman. John, congratulations. You've become one of the global elite in your profession. Good morning to you. Good on you, boy. I didn't catch that, John. I said, good morning, how are you? I said, a pleasure to speak with you. And with you, my friend, and with you. There are only 4,000 4, clay door recipients worldwide. What does it mean, John? Um, I suppose for me personally, it's a dream come true. It's been five years in the making. Um, it's number 42 in Ireland. There's only 41 other uh, clay door members in Ireland. It is... I suppose it's the ultimate. It's you know, it's, it's something a dream that I've had. It came through um, hard work uh, and passion, and I suppose support from a lot of people in getting the keys. So the keys basically are supposed to be keys that will open anything. Um, mind you, I went to a door yesterday and I tried to open it, but it didn't work. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we won't go with that. So I suppose that's really what it is. It's the the top end, it's the creme de la creme of concierge. It is, as was in a property that has a K-Door member, it is, um, the computer does not say no. It will always find a solution for a gift. Yeah, yeah. You, you defined to me before the job of concierge and, and your own personal view is if it's legal and available, I'll try and get it for you. Absolutely, and it stays the same as that. Anything that a guest should want, the guest should get. Um, As we say, once it's legal and once it doesn't affect the standing of the property that you're in, there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to go the extra mile. I think we've all found out in the last two years that you can't take anything for granted. And if a guest is looking for something, um, the guest should get it, be it tickets for a specific concert be it for a restaurant table. So I suppose that's really what the concierge does. Concierge thinks for the guest. Yeah. And uh, a Clayton member would be one of those then that absolutely should have 
more than 10 fingers, but they should all be in different pies and that, and make connections. And I suppose I've been very lucky in the last five years in Cork and nationally. I've made great contacts, great people, great support. Because if you can't get, you know, support from a restaurant or from a taxi company or, you know, if you don't build good relationships with them, then you can't actually do it yourself. But, you're, you're basically a PR man, but it's with a different side to it. You're known for needing things for customers in your hotel and you, you, you gain credibility with, with businesses to do that. Exactly. I just hope now you didn't mean that I was needy. Um, <laughs> no. Any of the listeners there might start texting and saying he is needy. So <laughs> it's basically that, look, you know, PJ Coogan is coming and I suppose he's looking for an early check-in. He's looking for specifics. And therefore, if it can be done, it should be done and it will be done. And in a property where there is a Claydoe member, I suppose that's where we work very hard then in the property. So like in Fort Island now, you know, we'll be doing a lot of further training and that with the teams just because like no one person can do it all. And if you have the standards there and uh, you work on that, I suppose on that basis that the guests should get us. Therefore, yeah. the guests should run for nothing. Yeah, well, you, you, you're training those around you. You're training your team to know. Well, I that's how you got that done. That's where you get the suit cleaned. That's how you talk to about the good bottle of wine. That's who you talk to about the concert tickets. You, that's that. You're you're training the next generation as a Claydore holder, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose I would have um, a motto that I would usually use is that alone we're a single drop and together we're an ocean and that can be for anything that can be for a family that can be for the hotel it can be for anything really and I suppose um, you know at the AGM now of the Claydor Society uh, in Dublin on Monday we were in Fitzpatrick and Kalini and the chairman is well our president is from the Europe Hotel in Belfast secretary is from the Fitzwilliam in Dublin Mm. you have a southern delegate from Killarney Park. So, like, it's all connections. And now that you're no a part of the worldwide um, concierge, you have a book of members. And if somebody is going to Australia and if they're looking for something and you can do it, you can contact the Claydor in Sydney. And wow. so, like, it's all about that. And it's been, you know, it's for the, the, the city, it's for the county, it's nationally. So, we all don't just work. Right. So, so, literally, if, if someone. Uh, it was in your hotel and they said, you know what, I'm on my way to actually going to Sydney and I want to get tickets to the opera and I have no idea where to start. You might have someone in Sydney come here to me. Have someone come in your way. Could you, could you, that's how it works. That's how it works, basically. Wow. Uh, it was set up in 1929, the Claydor. It's a non-profit making organisation and it's basically, the new hashtag would be in service through friendship. Yeah. And that's what we do, build connections. I was in London two weeks ago and I was with the Claydor and the Savoy. We were talking about that and I came home and the following day there was someone just actually happened to mention something about London. I got onto the Claydor in Savoy, who I'd only met the day before. And he was able to arrange a ticket for something for the ah. tour. So like magic. that's what it is. Magic, and magic, so- magic. John, you were always great at your job. Now you're recognised globally as being great at your job. John Coleman. Concierge John, uh, Chief Concierge at Fota Resort and a member of the elite Claydor. John, and a, and a friend. John, thank you. Take care. 0818 
96, 96, 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM's next big giveaway is coming. And if you love Ed Sheeran, you're really going to love this. Thank you so much for having me up. Get all the details with Casey and Ross in the morning, Monday, 8.15 a.m. Only on Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. It doesn't actually matter who wins that golf at the weekend. It would be wonderful to see Rory or, or Shane Lowry or any one of our Irish lads winning it doing really well at it with great but you know something if Tiger Woods manages to win well even if he doesn't even if on the last day he's in contention but specifically if he should manage to win he will surely prove himself to be the greatest golfer that ever lifted a club he's the attraction I was looking at pictures over the last couple of days of him out practicing and he played a nine hole practice session and there was a gallery followed him around the likes you wouldn't have seen on the final day. But the guy is a megastar. And look, you can talk about his marital escapades till the cows come home. That's another part of his life. But in terms of the sport he plays, the greatest golfer to ever lift a club. And he will prove that on, on Sunday. If he even competes in the last day. But if he wins, God, the history books will be torn up and rewritten. 0818969696. We're up to our eyes in your comments on housing. A lot of people picking up on the reason, which is still, no one's ever given me this reason. And no one's ever, no public representative has ever been able to ascertain this reason. So you have a perfectly good council house. And you move out of it. And you leave it in good nick. Why do they rip out the kitchen? Why do they rip out the bathroom? Why do they take up the floors? Why do they take out the styrofoam? Why do they do all that? Why? That, it makes absolutely no sense. The explana- now, Kevin thinks the explanation would be that if the council leaves in the new kitchen, the new shower, the styrofoam, etc., etc., then by default they become responsible for its maintenance and replacement. So they simply revert the house back to basic stock. That's about as much as I can come up with, says Kevin. Yeah, maybe. The only other reason possible I can see, says this WhatsApp message, is after one person moves out, is so every house that you move into is the same. Otherwise, you're right. Someone will find the reason to complain and maybe even sue the council for discrimination because someone got a house with a better kitchen and someone got the house with the regular one. If they don't redo it, how will they decide that? You see, there is a solution to that. It's called an as-is contract. And I, I think it might have been Amsterdam, but there's definitely was a man on to me from some city, a Cork guy, from some city in Europe where they had a public housing issue. When you move into your apartment or your house or your flat or whatever you're getting, 
Once you've walked it and said, I like that, you've signed your name, you then sign a contract with the council that says you're taking it as is. Simple. Simple as. And that, that, that and, and you've seen it, you've walked it, you've looked at it. You're taking it as is. There should be no, and if any official in City Hall can explain simply for me in writing why they pull out a kitchen, pull out a, a bathroom, take out a styra, why? Write it down. Tell me. Would anybody care to explain? 0818-969696. I want to go briefly to the Ballymartle Woods people because we've been following their story for the last few months now and they have an event coming up this weekend to raise awareness. Anna Maria Mullally is involved with Save Ballymartle Woods. You've got a lovely event coming up this weekend, Anna Maria. Good morning. Good morning, PJ, and thanks so, so much for your continued uh, support and interest for what we're doing down there in the woods. We really, really appreciate it. So, yeah, we've got um, a a ramble in the woods, which is uh, taking place next Sunday at three o'clock. And we'd like to invite your listeners to come down and visit the site for themselves and get to know our woods if they don't already know them. Um, Bring your kids. We're going to have a painted stone competition um, so we're looking for the children to come down, maybe the kids who are on their Easter holidays now and parents who just want to get out and explore the woodlands. The trees are all um, beginning to open their leaves. Um, there's a lot of, um, you know, nature activity in, in the woods at the moment. Still a few tadpoles in the puddles that are beginning to dry up now a bit, um, but lots to see. So we'd love to see loads of families down there on Sunday and um hoping to explore the woods and and maybe just to meet us as well and and hear a little bit about what we're doing. I think what's important is, I, I remember when, when we started talking about this, I, I had no idea of of the extent or the beauty of Ballymartle Woods. I think that's what you want to show people. This is what we're trying to save. Yeah, very much so, um, PJ. We really do want to let people see um, how beautiful the woods are and um, how large they are. Um, we're going to obviously, you know, ask people to to do their ramble on the on the Quilcher Trail, the main trail that runs through the woods. But we'd be able to to tell them uh, a little bit about what, what what it is they're going to see along the way, and we'll also be able to point out the section that uh, is under discussion at the moment, the section that is sale sale agreed, though the sale has been paused uh, according to Quilcher for the moment. Yeah, and that's, we, where, we that's still where we are. To is see what's that's there. still where we are. The sale is still paused. It is, yeah. Although, you know, I, I, I'd like to say something as short about that. Um, you know, Queer to have um, said uh, in 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 a recent communication to the Minister for Agriculture that you know that if the sale were to proceed, the area for sale would remain under forest, and and that the person who the local person who wants to purchase it is is hoping to make a potential rec- recreational offering that will benefit the local community. And any enhancements that would be made would would have to follow the planning and forestry regulations. So that's interesting because, I mean, they've always said to us that the person who's interested in buying the site would like to put in a glamping site there. So the message from from them is is mixed and um I would say as well that the message coming from from Minister McConnell's office, the government office, which which really 
um, is sort of washing its hands uh, 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 as what uh, uh, Quilta is doing. They're sort of saying that they operate independently. That's a mixed message as well too. The government, uh, you know, doesn't want deforestation, um, is concerned about the climate, but they really need to be doing more about it in our opinion. So our message isn't mixed at all. We're really clear about what we want. We want uh, this wonderful recreational local amenity preserved in its entirety and that's what we'd like to show people on Sunday. Okay, three o'clock, Sunday 10th of April and Bally Martel Woods in Riverstick. If you'd like to just walk around and see what it is they're all talking about and have been talking about down the opinion line for a number of months. There's your opportunity. They say dress for the weather forecast for Sunday. Not too bad, I don't think. Weather forecast for Sunday is... Mm, I've, seen, well, I've seen worse. Chance of a shower, 12 degrees. You should be all right. Uh, 0818 96 96 96 starts at 3 o'clock. And there's a good crack to be had by all down there. All right, where am I going? I'm going to talk to Professor Luke O'Neill, um, who is on the aid and humanitarian support trail uh, with the last few days. Talk to him next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now someone asked me to tell you two things they didn't know about Professor Luke O'Neill. One of them would have been he plays in the band. I'd have known that. But I wouldn't have known, Luke, that you were an international ambassador for the DuPaul organisation. Good morning. Good morning, Peter. How's it going? Good. Where are you right now, Luke? I, I'm on the ferry in Hollyhead, can you believe it? We're on our way back from our, our mission, PJ. We drove all the way to Poland and then down to Bratislava in Slovakia, delivering medical supplies yeah, for DePaul, as you just said there. So away for 10 days. So I'm very happy to be coming home. Yeah. There's a two-hour delay on the ferry, mind you, to the storm at the moment. So I hope to get back to Dublin uh, later today. What kind of things have you seen, Luke? Yeah, the main, I mean, it's amazing, really. I have to process the whole thing in the coming days, really. We saw loads of refugees, basically, PJ, especially in Poland, actually. And then we also saw them in Bratislava as well. Uh, we were in Krakow last weekend. It was full of Ukrainian refugees, loads of cars with Ukrainian number plates, you know, very disturbing. It's mainly small families, say mothers and children, mothers, grandmothers and children, no, no men the men are all still in Ukraine fighting, you know, that was the main thing. And then in Bratislava, uh, we met with lots of DePaul workers who'd been in Ukraine and they, they had some very disturbing stories to tell about what's going on there, you know. So re- it was so vivid, actually, to, to be to be in, in that part of the world, really, you know. What kind of work is DePaul doing? It has huge warehouses. Is it food and medical supplies? Yeah, they've got a huge warehouse in Bratislava. Uh, which is like a coordination point for all kinds of supplies. I mean, they need food is is a huge thing because starvation is happening, as you may have read, in Ukraine at the moment. Medical supplies. We we delivered loads of medical supplies. That was was our mission in our van, you know. And then hygiene supplies are the main things. They've got a huge warehouse and and they're coordinating a massive effort. The reason is DePaul have been in in Ukraine for years and they're one of the few charities on the ground there. And they've loads loads of contacts then and and the distribution network is set up for DePaul. So they're, they're very effective really as a distributor. How important is that, Luke, that an established charity outlet like DePaul has been there for quite some time, knows the ground? How important has that been over the last number of weeks? Yeah, that's key to it. Yeah, only DePaul and the Red Cross actually are in Ukraine at the moment. I mean, if, if a disaster happens in the world, say an earthquake, lots of charities get in because it's straightforward, you know. This is a war and very few can get in there for all kinds of reasons. And the fact DePaul are on the ground, they've been this since 2007. 
mainly with homeless people, you know, and now they've expanded into humanitarian aid. And they have all the contact space and the staff on the ground to help with all this distribution. Another heartbreaking bit, actually, PJ, was um, they, they, they mainly deal with homeless people. And lots of their clients now are volunteering to help as well in Ukraine. Because uh, remember, six million people are displaced within Ukraine as well. So having to fall on the ground is really effective. Yeah, that's one thing. We, we heard so much and we've spoken to people fleeing their home and not knowing if there'll be a home there if they ever get to go back. But there were also that's many, right. many hundreds of thousands of people who had no home anyway and, and that's right exactly but the shelter they had is bombed yeah that's exactly right yeah and, and the refugees you were speaking to they're in a really bad way because they don't know when they're gonna go home you know there's a huge question mark as to when they can return to their homes because of all the damage that's happened so it's a very traumatic aspect of the whole story as well what's the story with medicines we get calls literally every week from people offering to fill a van fill a truck of medic medicines what medicines and, and yeah. supplies are needed luke yeah, at the moment, it's mainly trauma stuff, so like bandages, you know, sterile dressings, all that kind of, because of all the injuries that are happening. And, and again, our truck was full of that sort of stuff, you know. And then secondly, uh, medicines like antibiotics, insulin, all those kinds of things, they're being brought in as well. Mm-hmm. So the whole range of things, really. But, but the real need at the moment is, is to do with trauma, like physical trauma and injuries, really, you know. Is there a shortage of things like insulin? There is, there is. All, all the supply lines have been broken into Ukraine. Mm. and all medicines are in short supply really and what that means is if you've got a chronic disease like diabetes say or another example is AIDS actually the HIV meds aren't getting in either there's a huge shortage and that's very serious because yeah. the one thing a diabetic needs is insulin you know but again that, that kind of thing is I mean again DePaul are coordinating with St. John's Ambulance who are su- supplying a huge amount of medical supplies to DePaul and again using DePaul's connections to, to deliver these medicines to hospitals and to communities Yeah. now we also have of course Luke Towson of people coming the other way, coming here to, to, to seek refuge here. And, and you're working with them. I think DePaul is working with them along the way too. They are indeed, yes. And DePaul is helping in Ireland as well to help with the refugees arriving. Because again, they're very experienced in handling displaced people, you know. So DePaul Ireland are also involved in helping with the refugee crisis in Ireland, as well as helping with DePaul International in its effort to get supplies into Ukraine. Now, people are always asking, how can we help? What do you need? Where do we start? So at the moment, if, if I said to you, Luke, we've a, we've a van or a truck ready to go. What is needed and where do we send it? Yeah, well, the, the trucks, they, they, they money most of all, to be honest, money? PJ, yeah. because they can, buy, they, can, they can buy stuff on the ground, you know. So any kind of food or hygiene supplies can be bought in Slovakia on the ground very cheaply and then shipped over into Ukraine. So the first thing DePaul need is more money, basically. And you can get, we love, we love as much money as possible. This is, this is going to go on for months and months. The need is, seems to be never ending, you know. So DePaul International or DePaul Ireland, if you look online, you can donate. That's the first thing. If you have supplies, uh, that, uh, medical supplies, uh, a good uh, way to put those in is a thing called uh, Medical Help Ukraine. If you look that up, that, that's a medical supply chain directly into, which we went with actually into Poland. You know, they're the main two things. But as I say, the main need is for any funding at all. Ten euros, PJ, is feeding five families in Ukraine at the moment. You know, so any any kind of donation would be great for you. Wow, that's that's some ten euro will feed five families. That's yeah, exactly. Sad. Yes, yeah. yeah. Do you Precisely, know what? Yes, I, I, any I, contribution will help. As you head back, Luke, lastly, you know, uh, I suppose we we have it rough here at the moment. The prices are going up, and the cost of living is going up, and we have a, we've we've problems of our own. But I think it must be it must be very eye opening, if that's a good word, to go and see the reality of life on the ground. Um, 
unbelievable. I mean, it's a, it's a shock to the system when you see families on the streets of Krakow. And now we see it in Ireland as well, of course, with the refugees arriving. But there's so many of them displaced. You know, four and a half million people have been displaced out of Ukraine, six million inside Ukraine. And when you're near the place, it really is vivid, you know, how much suffering, especially the children. The most upsetting thing is these kids, because yeah. they're very innocent, aren't they? And they're hugely traumatised by all this, you know. So any help to help this situation will be absolutely gratefully received. Okay, listen, good to speak with you. Safe, safe home back. And uh, we'll talk again sometime. That is uh, Professor Luke O'Neill. Um, he is an ambassador for DePaul International Charity. If you would like to donate and help DePaul Ireland, you can Google them and all the various ways will come up. DePaul, with capital D, DePaul Ireland. You can go to their website, depaulcharity.org forward slash donate. If you want to send things, you can send basic items like clothes, toiletries, practical supports like phone credit, believe it or not, household items. Uh, child and baby focused items, nappies, feeding equipment, toys, medicines. They're short of insulin. They are short of HIV meds. And God, that's an awful thing because haven't we been told the importance of that, that now HIV is something with which you live a perfectly normal life once you take your meds every month. Same with diabetes, you live a perfectly normal life once you take your meds when you're supposed to have them. So they're very short of insulin and they're very short of HIV um, controlling meds and, and it's um, just go to depaul.org Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And everything you need will be there. We are run off our feet with responses to our first hour and housing. PJ, the HAP is the most abused system in the country. Thousands are getting it and then moving in their partners as soon as they find a place. No wonder people are nervous of renting to HAP. Government needs to do more to monitor the whole thing as it's costing me and every other taxpayer thousands of euro. City councillor, a joke, seven years ago we applied for a city council mortgage. We didn't have 10% deposit the bank wanted. We had about 5%. City Council said you need 3%. Mortgage repayment was €200 less a month than the rent, which was going to go up. We'd no credit cards, no loans, nothing. And we got a letter back saying we couldn't afford the repayments. I had a sitting TD at the time challenge that. We got another letter saying we couldn't afford the repayments. We spent two years apart. She took the child to save for deposit. I visited them every weekend. Thanks, City Council. We ended up doing okay for ourselves housing-wise, but it didn't have to be that way. Hi PJ, I have a two-bedroom council house. We are so grateful. 
I recently inquired, though, about the tenant purchase scheme. But the council won't sell me a two-bed. I find it so frustrating. If I had a three-bed, I could buy it. There's no explanation either for that ridiculous policy. Have you got that headset on you there, Fiona? We got an email that you wanted to bring to my attention as well. In, in the last wee while. Yeah, it was a caller that rang in during the discussion okay. in the first hour about housing and it says, um, I am in social housing seven years and my landlord wanted me to liaise with council over an adjustment that needed to be made to accommodate my son with special needs. The housing is paid for with rent allowance, not HAP. When I went into the office, they told me that I had been removed from the list in September 2020. I asked why and they said they sent out a letter to ask me if I was still in need of a place on the housing list. They said they received no reply and automatically removed me. PJ, I got no letter. I have files of all my correspondence to do, not just with housing, but other issues I have to keep track of as well. I went on the Facebook group for people on HAP and asked, what am I to do? So far, there are 30 other people who were told they got this letter, but never received it and got knocked off the list. Firstly, if it's such an important matter, shouldn't they register it? Secondly, before condemning someone to accidental homelessness, shouldn't they follow up on it? It's their job to ensure that everyone in need is accommodated, not to make the list shorter through administration. Lastly, what do I do now? No one on Facebook seems to have come up with a solution to this, but I am in a dire situation now because I need my son's needs accommodated better. Thanks, Fee. And there's the question. I have been asked it a hundred times. We've been asked it a hundred times. And it's a simple question, and it's a question for which we never have an answer. We always hope someone listening might have an answer. Very simple question. Did you hear it in the email? What do I do now? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Keith Farnan is an internationally renowned Irish comedian who has appeared on Michael McIntyre's Comedy Roadshow and Montreal's Just for Laughs. Keith comes to City Limits for a show this week weekend on Saturday night and you can check out thecomedyclub.ie for ticket details. Access all areas. Neil Delamere, the star of BBC's The Blame Game, Fighting Talk on the News Quiz hits the road again with a riotous new stand-up show, Liminal. Neil brings the new show to Cork Opera House for one night only taking place on Thursday, April 28. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Courts 96 FM. We always mention books of interest on the programme. Books of many kinds come up on the Opinion Line from time to time. Very rare. I think this is the first, though. Apparently, we have influenced, the programme has influenced a new book. Danny Denton. <laughs> morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How's it going? Good. We have influenced a book called All Along the Echo. Tell me more. I'll give you the short, longish version. So I lived abroad for a while and um, 
towards the end of living abroad, I lived in Catalonia, in Girona, and found myself really missing Irish accents and found myself listening to shows like The Opinion Line, um, Galway Talks, Keith Finnegan, Joe Duffy, just to hear all the, I think I was just soaking up the Irish accents, you know, and as I'm doing that, getting kind of obsessed, I'd be ringing my mom, telling her about local news even though I was in Catalonia saying you know watch out there's a sewage leak down on the Cove Road there I just heard it on PJ Coogan um, and it started a project that I was working on I had it, this, this character started um, listening to the radio like I was listening to the radio and a whole novel just came out of it that it kind of struck me that shows like the opinion line like like Joe Duffy and Keith Finnegan there's so much life going on in them yeah. and it's kind of a record you know like 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 if you could, this is going to sound very strange. It's kind of the pitch of the book, but it doesn't fit much in the book in the sense that imagine uh, you're the last person on earth and you stumble upon 96 FM and you stumble upon the archive and you could listen back to the opinion line for 10 years, 15 years, whatever it might be. Yeah, You'd have a perfect record of everything that happened and what people cared about, what people felt, people's stories. Yeah. It's an amazing archive. So I just started, a book started writing itself that was yeah. trying to, represent that archive and the central character which is kind of very strange now that I'm talking host. to you obviously I know the central yes. character is a yeah, talk yeah. show host <laughs> yeah like there are I should say it's kind of a polyphonic thing there are several characters so there's the there's the host there's his uh, producer Louise and then a kind of part of this kind of idea of the novel is that you can see into the lives of people who listen to the show, people who might be phoning into the show. So it's kind of, there are many characters, but Tony my, is, is my, he's my, my PJ Coogan, my Keith Finnegan. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of the deal. And they do, they, it's a kind of a novel of a road trip in a sense. They're, go, they're going to give away a car. One of these, one of these cool car competitions that you guys do every few years. Mm. And that's part, that's part of it as well. Um, and they have but to yeah, I was really trying them, to capture the voices. They meet the kind of people that listen to radio and listen to talk and, and the, they get the story behind the story as it were, as they go along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because, like, another thing that I think a lot about, like, living abroad and coming home, I would increasingly be, see, like, I would see, uh, um, I would see almost like a kind of uh, pictures of Ireland every six months. So things were changing, you know, and things are kind of, it's just natural with globalization that things become less Irish or things become more. So, like, I spend a lot of time traveling. You're in uh, travel lodges. You're not in kind of local B&Bs anymore. Or you're on motorways loads. Like, do you remember, like, years ago, it used to take five hours to drive to Dublin. You pass through loads of different towns. And yeah, now yeah. it's just two and a half hours, one straight road. Yeah. But the voices of the people phoning into the show kind of became the most local thing about Ireland. So I, could, I might not see all these little towns anymore, but I can hear the people by listening to you guys, I can hear the people talking from these towns and hear what's going on and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's kind of the idea. It sounds a bit wacky, I suppose, especially when I'm <laughs> talking on the opinion line about it. It's um, great. And, and, and it is a car giveaway, but they've got to find the winner mm. on a road trip. And, and it's Yeah, you have to. So it's you have to find the car. That's that was my. So I the one when I was growing up, the great one was they put the uh, car in Paul Street Shopping Centre, and whoever could stay in the car the longest won it. So yeah. I wanted to do something like that. But my thing was you had to. Find, I had to get these people out on the road, um, for kind of plot reasons or whatever. So the my thing was you had to find the car. So they drive to every week. They drive to a different place, and whoever finds the car goes into the draw. And then there's at the end, at the end of the month. Whoever whoever wins the whoever come, name comes out the hat of those four or five people wins the car. 
And of course, yeah, you never. I, 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 this is a spoiler. You never do find out who wins the car. <laughs> so don't don't read don't read it to find out who the winner will be. <laughs> And of course, I, I imagine as well that Tony and, and Lou and the other characters, there's there's a backstory where they all find out more about themselves as well, as well as listening to the people whose stories Abs- they're telling. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think that's a lot of what's going on is that everyone has their own story and everyone needs to find ways to tell themselves, tell people their story, but also to figure out their own story for themselves, you know, like you could... You know, there's a million things going on in everyone's mind, and we don't always get access to that. So it was to try and to try and reach that kind of to try and continue that investigation, so to speak. Mm. Um, like it's this might sound a bit strange, but writing for me is it's like an investigation. You know, I don't set out to prove a point or to I don't have the story all figured out. It's just asking questions and meeting. So like I'd be sitting at home going, right? PJ's just heard this harrowing story. He's dealt really brilliant with it. What's it like when PJ goes home and has to like be a dad or take out the bins or whatever and that story is still ringing around his head and that could happen to you 20 times a day there could be 20 different stories so it's kind of more asking questions like that's how writing works for me like asking questions like what's this like what's that like and you know the person who comes rings in with an opinion and then hangs up the phone what happens to them next where do they go that kind of thing fabulous fabulous well you're launching the book in Waterstones at half six this evening so say hello to my my old pal John Breen but how do you go to Passage West from Passage West to Catalonia? The long way. <laughs> <laughs> I went, I was I was one of these, so I grew up in Passage and uh, what, geez, what age was I? Maybe 18, turning 19, out the door. I'll never, I'll never, I'll never darken the door of this place again, thinking I was too big for it. Mm. And of course, now I, I have a family and kids, where else do I want to raise them? Um, but Passage, so we kind of came back. But I went to, I went to college in Cork and then to Galway and then to Dublin and lived in London for a few years. Ended up in Catalonia for something different. Uh, and eventually wound, wound back to, wound back to the best. Oh. The best place in the world, Cork. All right, listen, Danny, good luck with the book. Launched this evening. It's called All Along the Echo. That's Danny Denton. 0818 96 96 96. We influenced the book, lads. We have arrived. We have arrived. He mentioned Passage, and it's just two seconds for me to mention this. Obviously, Danny's from Passage. So you take Passage, you take Toker, you take Bishopstown, you take Ballincollig, you take Turner's Cross, Farron Ree, Ronda Braher, whatever, all parts of Cork. They all feature in an evening with Reggie. And I finally got a chance to go along. He was on with me here a couple of times in the run-up to the show. But I went to see an evening with Reggie last evening. It's just an hour long. Spoiler alert, he's not wearing any clothes. Well, he is, but he isn't. It's very, very funny. And if you're from Ballincollig... Trigger warning. You have the toughest punchline of the whole night. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Good luck with, to, to Pat, a.k.a. Reggie. That runs until the weekend at the Everyman. Good to see the show last night. I got my mug as well. I got my mug. 0818, 96, 96, Right, I've let this slide. I haven't done it properly. What the hell did you bring that for? Put it away. Just here, put it in my purse. Good Lord. That's our Blackwater Motors audio clue for today. They're with us all this week for their annual demo and used car event. Over 500 cars from the Volkswagen and Seat range. It's on at the moment, runs until Sunday, 
Open Sunday 12 to 4 at Forge Hill in Fomoy, and Fomoy and Skibbereen. All the details you want on blackwatermotors.ie. €250 Euro a day and then upgrading somebody to 500 tomorrow, Friday. This, in my view anyway, is the hardest one we've done. I, de- I, I would certainly say it's the toughest one we've done. What the hell did you bring that for? Put it away. Just here, put it in my purse. Tell me, good lord. I need the actress's name. There's a tiny little clue at the very end there. Mentioning books, did Danny Denton was on. There's another book being launched today by the Lord Mayor and there'll also be an exhibition in the library to do with it. And I'll be talking to the author, hopefully, on the program tomorrow. Jim Hegarty has written a book called The Hegartys of the Laurels, which is a book about local history and how a small local business or a local shopfront is hiding a whole backstory that you knew nothing about. And I'll have Jim on the show uh, tomorrow. Unsung Heroism, another book about it. 0818. 96, 96, 96. Now, Rebecca Cohen from Bantry is Director of Research at the Law Reform Commission. And at the moment, they're undertaking a major piece of work to encourage people to come forward and tell their stories of crimes committed against them and their experience of being a victim of crime. Uh, Rebecca joins me. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. What is the purpose of this research that you're doing and how does it work? Well, PJ, I suppose to explain for your listeners first what the role of the Law Reform Commission is, we are an independent body and our our job is to keep the law under independent, expert and objective review. We review Irish law and we make proposals for reform and we, we try to modernise the law, making it easier to access and easier to understand. So our proposals are developed in a process that starts with a consultation paper, like the one that we've recently published on compensating victims of crime. So the consultation paper examines the law and sets out questions on possible changes to the law. And then we invite submissions on, on our proposed reforms. And we want to hear specifically from people who are directly affected by the proposals that we're making. So in the case of victims of crime, we're considering the physical and the psychological effects of crime that might, might, you know, inhibit people. And so we have developed, as well as the consultation paper, we have a short online survey. And we're looking at trying to, to hear directly from victims so that we can have a user-led design approach to, to figure out what kind of practical supports might be included in a reformed victim compensation process. We do have a victim compensation process at the moment, but it's clearly a process that is in need of reform. So we're we're looking at the financial aspects, but maybe that's just one element of a range of tailored and targeted supports and interventions. Mm. Um, but we're looking at a full redesign of the process, really, so that it's trauma responsive, so yeah. that bureaucratic barriers and delays are reduced and that victims are approached with respect and kindness. Is it fair to say, Rebecca, that one of the barriers that needs to be broken down is that people are literally afraid of the system and getting caught up in the system? Well, it is a difficult system and, uh, you know, it's it's quite technical. Uh, People don't, for instance, have access to legal advice uh, in order to navigate it. So if that's the case, perhaps it needs to be simplified or perhaps legal advice needs to be provided. 
there's a lot of uh, a lot of expectations are placed on victims within the victim compensation process. They must have their application in within three months of the criminal injury, yeah. which when you when you consider the kind of you know traumatic severe injuries that people can experience, I think sometimes that crime and violent intentional crime can be sanitized in the media. But you know you have you have people who suffer severe dental damage. It can go from from there to a traumatic brain injury. People who have been blinded, for instance, mm. people who who have lost someone through homicide, and they're a very particular category of yeah. victim. Those family members who've lost people through homicide, and what they need is a system that meets their needs and responds to their needs for state provided compensation, yeah. because very often it's not possible. Yeah. or feasible or practical to get compensation directly from the offender. And if if they have to, and I'll use the term, maybe it's not a term that you self-refer, if they have to self-refer, that's mm-hmm. that's a very short deadline, isn't it? Three, three months to have to self-refer if you're recovering from injury or something. It is. And, and the difficulty is that, in fact, the compensation decision might not be made for many years, it might it might await the outcome of criminal proceedings or civil proceedings, and so that can leave somebody you know waiting for a very long time, and then also having to revisit the details of a very traumatic event many years after that event. But perhaps you know the person's immediate need is for private dental care, and that that is, has a cost of eight hundred euro. That's a very common scenario yeah. that people might have great difficulty in paying for that. And, you know, receiving it a number of years later after many bureaucratic uh, barriers and delays is perhaps not the best approach. When we, we're looking at other jurisdictions like Australia, we can see that there it's possible even within 15 days to get yeah. a targeted support to relocate a victim of domestic abuse or, you know, even for very practical things like forensic cleaning. If there has been a homicide in your home, these are the kinds of costs that that are associated with being a victim of crime mm. that are perhaps, you know, not, not fully appreciated. You're, you, I had a look at your online survey this morning and you have a questionnaire there. I, 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 Rebecca, you're, you're probably going to anticipate my question, but you're, you're expecting people to come forward and share with you very, very personal information, very, very personal feelings and things. And in these modern times where people are, and rightly so sometimes, afraid of what they'll put online how much can you reassure them that what they what what they communicate will be handled in the strictest of confidence well the survey is entirely anonymous right. by pj it's designed that way and the questions we've taken great care to ensure that they won't add to the additional to 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 additional trauma to victims of crime What we want to know in the survey, we're not asking people for any personal details about their own criminal injury. We're asking them what matters most to you in a criminal injury compensation process. Maybe they, that's what we need to hear. That's what what user-led design is about. Perhaps they will say that it's not the amount of the award, it's the way that they're treated in the process that matters most to them. You know, we want to know, would people have a preference for a small award given in a very short time frame or whether they're happy to wait until, you know, many years later for a more substantial uh, award, you know. Um, And and crucially, we want to know if victims feel that a combination of both financial supports and practical supports like counselling, 
physiotherapy, dental treatment, if those should be included in a reformed victim uh, compensation process. Talk about informing things. Before you worked with the uh, Law Reform Commission, you spent quite a number of years in, in the office of the DPP. That probably gives you an insight, does this, into what people go through, Rebecca? I think it does. I think it does. As I say, I think that crime is, is sanitised sometimes in the media and it's in its presentation. But, you know, it is a, a totally life-changing experience for people and it can interfere with their daily functioning. It can substantially alter their quality of life. So it's important that as a state we respond and support people appropriately because that has a very significant cost to us as a society when people are, are damaged in that way. And it's important that the state is in a position to uh, provide practical supports that can restore people as, as much as possible. And that's not just a desirable thing. It's also a matter of European law. We're required as a matter of European law to compensate people fairly and appropriately when people have been victims of violent intentional crime. Okay, wish you success with the scheme. Uh, Rebecca Cohen from the Law Reform Commission. Lawreform.ie is the website. You find links to the survey and if you are a victim of crime or your family were victims of crime and you're not happy with the way the compensation was handled or indeed there was no compensation or or anything like that, you can go and fill out that completely anonymous form, which is... Uh, very important. You, you don't have to give them any personal information whatsoever. Just details of what you think you'd like to see. Thank you, Rebecca. 0818 96 96 96. Now, a reminder to you about having the 96FM app on your phone or on your tablet. Very important for many reasons. One, because you get lots more than just the radio station. There's the hit mix, there's the fit mix, there's the Premier League at the weekend. But also, our podcasts are carried, well, as, man, as well as every other podcast platform out there. But our podcasts from the Opinion Line are carried on the 96FM app. We put the full show up every afternoon. You'll get that generally between two and three that'll arrive wherever you get your podcasts but also we choose a number of sections from the show every day and they go up as what we call podcast extras and they go up between 12 and 1 so if you're particularly interested in a section of the program you'll find that on your app between 12 and 1 and if you just want the whole show in general you'll find that there in the early afternoon 0818 96 96 96 Can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie When we're enjoying Elton John in Dua Lipa, are you getting a cold heart? Has our love for Dermot Kennedy made you hope better tunes are coming? Give me what I want Tell us the music you want to hear. And what songs should disappear with the Cork's 96FM Music Panel. Take our 10-minute music survey. And you could win a 100 euro penny voucher. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I mentioned me at the Reggie Show last night. Really enjoyed that. Also, this weekend in the Comedy Club, Saturday, Keith Farnan. Corklet based in London you'd see him a lot on the Michael McIntyre show and I love Michael McIntyre I really do and yet I've seen this guy Farden he's, he's funny he's very funny he is at the comedy club Saturday 9th of April also this will be really special the Balancholic Winter Festival 2022 now we're in the middle of spring but we let that slide but the, the Winter Festival has a hundred musicians playing a hundred musicians playing in the White Horse over the next four days. They have a traditional music session in the bar at seven tonight. And upstairs, it's sold out. The White Horse Guitar Club, they are brilliant. They are fabulous. Full lineup is at whitehorse.ie forward slash winter music festival. That runs for the next few days. Also coming back to housing, Tim Rosnan and Tom Welsh were both on to tell us, here's a real military term. There are 10 houses belonging to the army up at Collins's barracks that used to be officers' quarters. And here's the real army word. They have been fallow for years. God, it's a long time since I heard anyone refer to a house as being fallow. But they're in perfect condition and empty and owned by the state. See, they're out there. A friend of mine had a fire in a bedroom last October. Council engineers said she had to move out. She had two children and she still has to pay her rent. She's living with her family's sibling since last August, or last October. Nothing done to house her since. So they kind of said, well, I'm sorry, you, um, you'll have to move out. It's grand, where? But no answers to that. Oh, oh, eight, one, eight, ninety six, ninety six, ninety six. I'll come back to those because there's still more, still more on housing. It's the, the, the topic of the day as it has been many days. But I want to go to Brian McCarthy. Brian, I think we did talk before when you set up your your rooftop garden. Um, it began kind of as a, a lockdown project, but now it's a fully-fledged business and you have a job on offer. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Yes, Good. that's correct. Yeah, um, yeah we've, we've, we've come a, come a bit of, of the way now since we were last talking. We, um, we opened our, our farm shop there uh, at the end of November last year. And uh, which has been which has been great. The, the the response has been amazing from the people of Cork and the support that they've shown us. Yeah. Um. And I guess now we're trying to 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 push on the production to match the demand. So we're we're looking for somebody to to be working on the rooftop farm, yeah. uh, full time, kind of running the production side up there. So yeah. Go through the history of it again for me. Like I said, a lockdown project, yourself and your partner. Correct, yeah. So basically, around this time two years ago when the first lockdown uh, it was imposed, I had to close my wholesale flower and plant business temporarily. And myself and Ty started growing some fruit and veg up on the rooftop there just as an innocent kind of a homestead uh, project. We documented it all through social media um, and it kind of spiralled into what is now uh, Cork Rooftop Farm, the business. And um, we've been, you know, executing on different plans and enterprises since then to do with the the, the farm. And uh, we've, we're growing uh, on a no-dig market garden on Coachford. We have our pasture-raised hens, and obviously we have all the produce that we grow on the rooftop. 
Um, You've also made it very safe. I see a Facebook video or post of putting up fences and all. Yeah, so our big goal for this year is to open up the rooftop farm to the public, um, hopefully for for the summertime. Uh, So obviously there's a lot of uh, health and safety aspects to to a rooftop scenario that are that are important to 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 to, to take off. So we're we're working on that now, getting the place safe and ready for people to come up and uh, enjoy the space and learn about what mm. we're doing. And we're also hoping to open up a dining section to the rooftop next in in later in the year. Wow. So you will be able. To, so there will be a food offering, so people will be able to come up. Uh, and have a kind of a farm to fork offering so we'll be growing it there then and they'll be able to eat it there and then so it'll be a a unique a unique experience for those those people for people in the city that's brilliant now you need someone to operate the garden don't you correct yeah no we do i mean um we have uh, neve has been working there now since september but neve uh, she's from mayo she's traveling home um in, in the next week or two and um, there's an opportunity there for someone so we've got plans to expand I suppose our microgreens production which is little baby shoots that we grow they take about 7 to 14 days to grow that's a big part of our business we're, we're expanding that we have also our tower farm so anyone who's seen us on, on, on social media will see that we have these grow towers yeah. um, that allow us to grow a, a huge amount of uh, produce in a very small area. Yeah. Uh, so managing those is a very unique way of growing um, uh, and very suited to a rooftop because it, it utilizes the water very efficiently. It only uses about 10% of the water that you would traditionally use comparison to soil-based growing. Uh, and it's very lightweight, um, and obviously you're using your vertical space as well. So very, very uh, useful for us on the rooftop, um, as well as just the general maintenance of the rooftop, keeping it, you know, uh, safe and 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 tidy for everybody to come up, and and that'll be coming hopefully dur- during the summer months to see it. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's 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 an exciting job role. I think there's a lot of aspects to what we do that's quite and innovative and and interesting and you know um i guess the nice thing about it is we're, we're growing on a rooftop in the city and then we're 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 serving it or selling it to people literally directly below in the farm right. shop or to restaurants right on our doorstep so the food doesn't have far to travel i mean um, there's, there's 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 farm to fork and there's farm to fork like you know what i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's, i mean and people you know they gravitate to it because you've got the freshness you know we've literally harvested it that morning and people are coming in buying the bags of, of leaves or, or produce uh, that day. So it, it really does make a difference um, both from a nutritional standpoint and freshness and just taste, you know. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's exciting. So, um, so are you looking yeah, for a qualified horticulturalist or just a damn good gardener? What are you looking for? I, I guess we're, we're, we're open to, to any and all sorts. I mean, myself and Ty started with no formal training or background, so we're very open-minded. Uh, you know, if, if you have a passion for, for, for food and horticulture and growing, but you don't have any practical background in it, we're still, we'd, we'd be very open to your applications. People can send their applications by email to me at corkrooftopfarm at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you have a background in horticulture and want to work in an area that's kind of innovative and grow, uh, you know, going in a positive direction, then it's it's a good opportunity. As well as you know, maybe the amateur gardener who never thought there might be something for them or never really, um, you know, gave 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 thought to it, considering that they were growing, they were living in the city. But it's an opportunity for somebody maybe living in the city 
to get uh, who has the green fingers maybe to yeah. to to get more uh, involved. And you're, you're working on a unique city project that, let's face it, for you and Ty just started out as something to pass the time with during lockdown. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, it, it, it was a, a challenging time, but obviously out of what was a very challenging time has, has come one of the, the best opportunities in both myself and Ty's lives. So we were, were hugely grateful. Um, and, you know, every every day we kind of work on it, we kind of pinch ourselves a little bit. Yeah, um, so you do. So it, the, it's, the pictures it's, are fabulous. Been, the pictures are the colours. Oh, thank and, you. And, and, yeah. most, and, and I, I presume that with the food will come great coffee too. A hundred percent, yeah. No, they, they go hand in hand. They go don't hand they in just, hand. No, don't yeah, they just, Brian? Don't. Good, good luck with it, and I hope you find someone who can do exactly what you need at Cork's Rooftop Farm. Cork Rooftop Farm, Rooftop Farm at gmail dot com. Great idea if you're interested in that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Right, give you another listen to this. This is Fiona's favorite movie of all time. She was telling me she's lost count of how many times she's seen it. I've seen it a couple of times, and I like it. What in hell did you bring that for? Put it away. Just here, put it in my purse. Tell me, good lord. Who is that? All right. We've teamed up with Blackwater Motors' annual demo and used cars event. 500 to choose from and more from the Volkswagen and Seat range. They're open until Sunday, Sunday 12 to 4, at Forge Hill and Fermoy and Skibbereen. All the deets, blackwatermotors.ie. Daily winner gets 250. And then tomorrow, we will upgrade one of our daily winners to 500 euro. So give us the name of this person with a car connection. The, 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 the clue is kind of at the end if you listen tight. What in hell did you bring that for? Put it away. Just here, put it in my purse. Tell me, good lord. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Every year, you join us to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by your amazing generosity. If you need a light shine Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we're asking you to include us in your diary. Include us in your diary. Start thinking now about fun ways to fundraise. You could also host a coffee break or fill one of our change collector boxes. I'll be everything you want to. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26 to 28. Only on Cork's 96 FM. But spring weather. You see spring colours. People wearing spring colours. And they start bringing out the... The women start bringing out the, the florals and the, the pastels and the nice pinks and pale colours to welcome the, the, the spring sunshine. Not much of it out there today, but you know what I mean. And then... I opened up this new collection from the O'Malley label and like Maeve Dennehy, you're going to be seen from space in these colours <laughs> and they're fantastic. <laughs> it's a we big need change. We brightness and cheer in our lives, don't we? It's a, it's, the the colours are amazing. You could totally pull it off, PJ. You definitely could. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but they are brilliant. 
<laughs> no, it is. It's lovely and bright. It's pink and navy and colourful and fun. And it's the time of year, isn't it? We need it. We need, and we're going to be going out this year. We're going to have a social life. Yeah. We need yeah. to look well, feel well. So yeah, I wanted it to be colourful. Because spring is normally about, as I said, nice pale, soft yeah. yellows and yeah. pinks and blues yeah. and stuff. You yeah. know, and, and that's just yeah. men. And and like, mm. do you know, it blends in with the kind of pale sunshine and you, you kind of re- yeah. reserve the loud colours for July. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, PJ, this is our, my second collection. So my first one came out in September and it was that real strong, vibrant green colour. I think it's nice to have something a little bit... That was my whole thing. Like, I have the shop 10 years and the online, but I wanted to bring out my own line that it was a bit different and that you'd notice it. So I think you will notice the spring-summer, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's your, like you said, your second collection. First one yeah, was based yeah. on, on comfort. That went down well, too, because I think people were, were slopping around working at home and they wanted to It was that interim period, wasn't yeah. it, where we were starting to go out a little bit. We wanted to, we were sick of wearing joggers and all the rest of it. We wanted to look well, but we needed the comfort. And that's what I was aiming at, really, to be honest. That's why I did the collection. And uh, yeah, it really worked. And now for spring, summer, it just went a little bit more fun. Yeah, a little yeah. bit more colourful and yeah, and but like, still very comfortable and you know easy to wear. Like everything's changed lifestyle wise and fashion's mm. changing. Oh, with big it. time! Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. People definitely want the comfort now, don't they? Yeah, I think we got used to it. Yeah, which is a good thing though. But I just, I suppose, from my side of it, I've worked in this so long. I wanted people to still be stylish and comfortable because you can actually just do both. It's not that difficult. It's just to make sure you have pieces in your wardrobe that you feel good in, really. You know, and sometimes so that's the thing. You can either be really comfy. Mm. Or really mm-hmm. stylish, but you mm-hmm. could never be both, and that's what you want no. to do. Yeah, basically, that's what I was aiming at. And um, like I said, season one went really well. We did repeat orders, and everything went really well. And even though we've only put out a teaser video so far of season two, it's launching on Sunday. Um, the reaction has been great. It yeah. has because I suppose people know the brand now, and they trust it, and they know it's good quality and comfortable. And yeah. It's it's clothes that we get our wear out of. It isn't fast fashion in the sense that you get your wear out of it, you know. There's a stereotype there about fashion mm-hmm. and what how, how mm-hmm. people like to buy their clothes, particularly if they're if if they're online. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you find that they they like to deal with a direct local connection? You know what? I have a, a big online business. Like we have a separate warehouse here, and we have a store as well. And I think people like that they have both options with us. I think people may never ever come to the store, but they know us from social media and know that if they wanted to come to the store they also can you know that kind of way yeah i think and i I do think in the last two years people have really tried to buy irish again i really do i think people have have realized how important it is apart from that nels everyone's got the disaster story Maeve, of seeing something (laughs) on a website and then buying it and realizing hang on a second that won't go on my toddler And the worst thing is for the month before it arrives in your head, you're beautiful. Like. But we do a lot of, uh, <laughs> you've done it, obviously. We do a lot of try-ons on social media, our staff and our team and stuff. So it's like real people as such, I suppose. So people kind of connect with that, you know, so they can picture what it might look like on them. Mm. And here's the thing. If someone is looking at a, at a piece online and wants to buy mm-hmm. it and said, you know what, I'd actually mm-hmm. like to come into the shop and, and, and try yeah. it on. Can you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they can. They can click and collect from our warehouse. It's five minutes from our shop. They can bring it up there or they can try on other styles up there. Or Like, we're very accommodating. We'd be known for helping everyone. And loads of people travel down to Charlotte for the day out to try on a few pieces. And particularly now for occasions and stuff as well, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. 
so yeah, a lot of people would, and they try on their bits, and they may go home with something else, or they may go home with the one they had their eye on. Yeah, yeah. You, you and I talked, of course, during lockdown about we how just, hard it was for small business and small yeah, retail business. Yeah. This was kind of your answer, but were you always thinking of it anyway? Um, I suppose I'm ten years in business now, Peter. I wanted to do something, and I, I suppose I feel it's a it's a busy market you know and I do feel it's a bit saturated with the same brands and I wanted a point mm. of difference like so by making my own it's exactly that you can't get it anywhere else it's unique and and it gave me a kind of a new lease of life in work as well you know it's something exciting yeah. and you know so it was always there in the back of my head but it only kind of came to fruition like a yeah. year and a half two years ago and you know what I'm hearing so much about now is we're mm-hmm. starting to grow out again people are so mm. happy to have occasions back in their lives and have oh my God, something are, to yeah. buy clothes for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find for the occasion where that we do in the shop, people want to go all out. They're like, right, I'm I'm finally getting to go to a wedding. I want to be stunning. Like, you know, mm. they want the nice dresses and they want to feel fabulous. And that's understandable. You know, we've been stuck indoors for two years and we want to see everyone and have fun again. Like, and they I don't certainly do want- anyway they don't want to go in and see mm. the same thing for Oh god time. no. No. <laughs> oh god no. No 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 no. Nobody wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Never mind the fact like that there's a hundred fellas in the same dress suit, but that's that's fine, you know. That's irrelevant. Like no offense but no one's looking like <laughs> we, we we know. Thank God. We know. Where can people see the stuff and when can people buy it? Uh, so we're launching Sunday evening online um, on omali.ie and lovecherish.com and then in store Tuesday morning in Charleville if they want to pop down they're more than welcome Good luck with it uh, Maeve Dennehy from Love Cherish and O'Malley the, the, actually the, the colours are stunning uh, they are brilliant colours you will be seen from the end of the street and you know what you'll be delighted about it 0818 96 96 96 thank you Maeve come back to a couple more of our Housing comments. Sally Ann was on. She said, look, she said, I'm literally a banker. Anyone that can pay €1,200 in rent can afford a mortgage. That's the type of percent of income mortgages were until relatively recently. Why don't the government just do a 60-40 scheme for state or state-backed mortgages? If they'd done this at the turn of the recession, the increase in value would be enormous as an asset for the state. Take into account there'd be less people in hotels, etc., etc., costing the state money. So it would represent an economic change in state finances in a way that prompted, promoted the stability the government craves. Now that's coming from someone whose financial head is not a lot better than mine. But I think what she's saying is if, she, if, if, the, if the state put money into actually allowing people, helping people to buy places, then instead of ploughing millions into hotels, money that's never coming back, You'll be doing better. Thank you for that, Sally Ann. 0818 96 96 96. Now, for as long as I've been involved with various things to do with autism, there have been talk of, they used to call them sib shops. I don't know if they do call them that still. But sibling camps are really important. Uh, Molly Canan is the support network and resources manager with the Rainbow Club, and you have a SIB camp over Easter, Molly. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Explain for people who wouldn't be familiar, why is it so important to have something like this for the siblings of of a child with with autism? Um, I suppose, really, this came about um, when my mum set up the Rainbow Club 
Um, and having two brothers myself on the spectrum, I, you know, we very, very clearly understood the the need for support for siblings as well as the child and parents. Um, you know, we believe that it's a group effort, you know, supporting a child with autism. It has to be the parents need to be supported, the child themselves need to be supported, and the siblings in turn as well. Yeah. Um, siblings, a lot of the time, experience a lot of difficult emotions that parents might experience as well. There's anger, there's jealousy, there's guilt, there's all these different things, and they're very hard for an adult to navigate, never mind a child. Mm. Because they feel... Um, that their little brother or little sister is getting more attention and they think more love. That's not necessarily the case, but isn't that, that, that can be hard to deal with when you're seven. Yeah, and like I know myself, like I felt massive like jealousy. And then at the same time, I felt so guilty for being jealous because I understood that, okay, my brothers need this extra support. So it was very hard. It was very hard. You started out doing a, a, a sibling group in, in Rainbow, bringing your own experience into it, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so we started the sibling workshops in 2020. And we started off with 16 kids um, weekly. They came in for eight-week workshops. And now we have over 67 or 76 kids every week attending ongoing permanent support for being siblings. Now, you have four camps, I think, over the next two weeks of the Easter holidays for siblings. Yes, we do. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of the time school can be kind of almost a respite away from home if home life is very, very hectic and it's very difficult. Um, School can provide that little break for kids, you know, and sometimes we find that summer holidays or Easter holidays can be very difficult because... Um, they don't have that break. So this the camp really is just an opportunity for them to get out of the house, for mum and dad to get a break. And they come and they do arts and crafts, they do sports, they do all these different things. They get to meet the staff at Rainbow Club as well, which is great. And I guess they get to talk to other youngsters in the same position as themselves and say, well, my sister is autistic. Well, my brother, and how do you feel? They make friends there, friends, friends who get them if you want. Yes, yes, exactly. And I found myself, like, growing up with it, it was very, it was a very lonely place to be because my friends in school didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, and I didn't really have a connection with anyone who did understand it. So that connection is really important, I suppose, yeah. especially at, like, yeah. young ages. That The first time you met someone, Molly, if you can remember, the first time you met someone who actually understood... Why? What commitment? Because there is commitment being a sibling of a of a, an autistic mm-hmm. brother or sister. Like the first time you met someone who actually understood, how valuable was that for you? And the first time I met someone who actually understood was last year, and it was my coworker Tara. Um, and she runs the sibling workshops with me. We do it together, um, and it's almost a full time job now at this stage. She has a brother on the spectrum herself, and her brother has been part of Rainbow Club since it opened but Tara gets me on a level that nobody else does yeah. she just gets it yeah. and even how like valuable my mom is that my, to your own life in va- like you couldn't put a price on it you know even my mom and dad they don't they get it to a certain extent mm. but they will never fully understand um, but yeah it's been it's been life changing being able to you know find someone else who thinks exactly how you do and you know has the same experiences and 
understands you on a way that nobody else does. And when it's tough, they're there. And when it's tough for them, you're there. Exactly. And the important thing about it as well is that me and Tara are delivering these workshops and we've experienced this ourselves, you know. We're not just taking stuff out of a book. We're not, you know, coming up with it on the spot. It's stuff that we've experienced and stuff that we've identified that siblings do need support with. Yeah, it's fantastic and good luck with all the camps which are running throughout Easter. Rainbow Club is on Facebook and is there a website, Molly? You can book online, can't you? Um, Well, applications are closed now. We're full up. really? You're full? um, Yeah, we're full. Wow. Um, There is a waiting list now and I suppose there probably might be one or two popping out with COVID and stuff over the week, but... Um, yeah, full up now at the moment, which is great. It's amazing. All right. And will you be running some more later in the year for people who might want to think yeah. about it? Yes, we're doing summer camps as well. And we have ongoing workshops and groups every week. OK. All right. Stay in touch uh, as soon as you have information on it. Molly Callan, Support Network and Resources Manager with the Rainbow Club. The Rainbow Club, lads, is such... I remember it starting from very, very tiny, tiny beginnings. And it's such a... F- Fabulous thing now for children with autism and their entire families. Really is. Well done, Molly and Tara. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Just before I move on, there's a a chap that I know and have known for many years through my work behind and whatever the scenes with adoption and tracing and reunion and all of that, working through Know My Own and others. That's a guy called Adrian McKenna or Ado Mac. And Adrian is based up the country, but he's got friends and relatives and many people who know and respect him and love him here in Cork. And I just want to congratulate, through them, congratulate my old pal Ado for being awarded Outstanding Achievement in Social Care. He picked that up award, that award up in the last few days. And if anyone is listening who knows Ado and knows he knows me, please pass on my words to him. 0818969696. Now we've got loads of street art. We were talking about more of it the other day. That wonderful new mural down at Toki Street. And we've talked so much about the hurler over the last year or two. We're now going to see some of our legendary boxers and boxing achievements in Cork. Um, recognised in in street art. They're already looking for places to do it. Ted Dineen from Sunnyside Boxing Club joins me. Ted, we have such a wonderful boxing legacy in Cork. It really was only a matter of time before we'd recognise it this way. Good morning. Oh, indeed. Good morning, PJ. Um, Cork has a a rich history in boxing and... uh, as I say, it's uh, Father Horgan's, you have the Glen, you have Sunnyside, there was even Mallow, which was well up there years ago. They're, they're, they're all going to be recognised now with the, with the murals. And uh, I spoke to Kieran Joyce, and he's honoured, he said. Mm-hmm. And and uh, brought the garden, the garden is out doing the call now at the moment. And uh, he's, he says it's a great idea as well. Mm-hmm. And our new coach, uh, Gary Riley, is all for it. His son is in the club with us now. He went to the Ireland, so mm-hmm. our club is going well. The, the, the Joyce's uh, will be among those recognised, won't they? Oh, they will, they will. Kieran, 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 Gordon and Barry, in this day in 1980, 
they won three juvenile titles. Imagine, that's some record now. And uh, Gordon is still the youngest uh, elite senior champion ever and will never be beaten. He's, he's even younger than Joe Ward. But to have three brothers to get the, uh, the juvenile t- titles in Ballantyre in 1980, that was incredible. But uh, but Kieran, Kieran went to the Olympics and Albie was an Olympic coach. Paul Bottomer went to the Olympics and uh, Michael Roach. And uh, who am I missing now? There was another one as well. Um, they'll come to me anyway like oh, that. Yeah. But uh, I'll, tell the, I'll tell you the truth. Um, Gordon was very unlucky. Gordon was measured for his suit and all to go to the Olympics and there was some some mix-up or some very someone true. pulled some stroke or something. But uh, but Kieran, anyway, his exact words were he's honoured to have his picture on the wall. Excellent. And he's, he's to say his legacy is done now. He's, he's taking a step back from boxing. But he's encouraging us all the time for our battle for the old club, as is Gordon, and our our uh, secretary, Jim Corbett. He's involved in the civil side of it. He's our assistant secretary for the club. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, the, 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 just, they're going to be lovely, but they, there's other boxers as well, like that, you know, around, you know, from the old days. And uh, you'll have uh, a boxer probably from Mallow put up there like that. I don't know what specific fella they're going to put up. Mm. But um, you have Mick Leahy there like that. You have the Martin man. You have... Um, there's loads of them, yeah. you know, the, the, you know, the hide man, you know. Does anybody know why it was or how it came to be that Cork just for a while there, and still does, but but for certainly for a period of time, turned out boxers of such quality? How did that, that didn't happen well, accident? I'll tell you, well, there was, there was a lull, you see, probably from about the late 50s to the 70s. And Dan O'Connell and Father Hawkins and a couple more gentlemen that that, that I can't think of their their names now, but they revived it and they got going. And then Albie came on the scene mm. with with Father Hawkins and our our sunny side, and they they kind of took over a little bit from Father Hawkins. Your Belly Valand and were doing well with with uh, Tom Keller and Mick Keller. They're they're up in the glen now, mm. but um, there was always there was. So I was great interest. My first club was actually South Parish in Sawmill Street with, with John O'Neill. That was my first club in the early 80s with Derek and, and uh, Ken. They were in the army. But um, but they, they, once once LB got his, his, his uh, the bit between his teeth there, he was determined to make make Sunnyside a great club like that. And with 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 the lads that, that they had, they developed them like that. They worked in, in Garden, Barry, Kieran, Paul Butler then came over from yeah. Talker's side. Yes, you had right. Michael Roach then. So, you know, like they they just they were actually ahead of their mm. time. Yeah. The, like I know they had the, they were the best club in Ireland. And then after a while Athai took over, Dominico wrote the president's club. And then you have Johnny Joyce now in uh, uh, Mullingar, Olympic Mullingar, and you've dreamed uh, Michael Cruz Club. They're, they're one of the mm-hmm. premier clubs now at the moment. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Cork, Cork building, we're building ourselves. The sun has begun to shine once again on Sunnyside. Good, good, good. Well, Cork you know? was a great place for boxing. I know you've got the dinner as well. This is the Cork X Boxers yes. Golden Jubilee. That's on Rochester yes, Park yes, on the 30th yes, of April. On- Yes, yes, that's 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 coming up, and we're still hoping to get the um, get the old club up and running. Where we had a meet, meeting with the city council, which is very, very, very went very well. And uh, our charity showed in myself and Colin Thomas for penny dinners, and Mary Mount is going ahead. I got the all clear from the doctor, so we're both training anyway, and that'll go ahead. There'll be other boxes and that. 
So we, we kept going, you know. A lot to do. And keep us posted, Ted, with what is coming up. We'll be happy to mention it here on the programme. Ted Deneen of Sunnyside Boxing Club. Uh, the Cork, the great legacy of Cork Boxing to be honoured with street art. And I think more besides over the months to come. And only right and proper. This came in, I meant to read this earlier on and I didn't. And I just want to throw it out there. We don't have much time left, but if we have to come back to it tomorrow, we will. Hi, PJ. I have been passing by the area... This is from Anne, an email. I've been passing by the area around the Educate Together School in Grattan Street for many years. The traffic is getting worse by the hour. And why? Because parents are dropping off their children anywhere on the road, holding up lanes of traffic who have to manoeuvre around it to continue their perfectly legal journey on the roadway. It's time common sense prevailed. Maybe drop the children off at the front of St. Francis Church and let them walk on the footpath towards the school door. Far safer option than just de- abandoning them everywhere. There should be no stopping in the road outside the school, and perhaps for vulnerable children who mightn't be able to walk far, there should be a designated parking area just across the road, a drop-off. Don't know if a school warden could cope either with cars stopping to drop off the children. And sent that in by email to opinion at 96fm.ie. If you're in that area and you'd agree or disagree with her, you know where we are. The Rebound Arts Festival. It's on this weekend, and I've been going through the programme of events, uh, Matt Corrigan, and I would say that diverse doesn't even begin to go there. You have all sorts of stuff on. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going, PJ? Give me the purpose of the festival first, and then the very uh, eclectic, diverse, wide program that you have. Yeah, absolutely. So the festival is run by myself and 17 other producers. Uh, We're all doing the Masters in Arts Management and Creative Producing in UCC. So we're producing the the festival as kind of a part of our course. Um, The the, the cohort's brilliant because I'm, I'm from Cork myself, but half of the course, exactly half, are not Irish. They're all international students. So there's nine Irish students, nine international students. And because of that, you just get such uh, an incredible array of things that people want to do when it comes to a festival. I mean, yeah, you said it yourself. I mean, Diverse doesn't even begin to cover it. I mean, you've got everything from, I believe there's a Afro dance workshop. There's a samba band. There's a workshop on music production. My own event, because each each person involved in running the festival is is, is in charge of a specific event. My own event is um, is a film installation that's running in in Plugged Records on Corn Market Street for the weekend, um, and it's just it's just incredible. You've got everything from from really every every corner of the world. Yeah. Some of the names, like what's Gamma Ray? Gamma Ray, God, Gamma Ray. Gamma Ray is actually probably one of the ones I'm looking forward to most myself. That's happening on Sunday in the, in the Granary Theatre. Uh, Gamma Ray is the Afro Dance Workshop. So there's uh, there's the Cork City Samba Band, who are phenomenal mm. and an incredibly diverse array of, of individuals themselves. And uh, anyone who's lived in Cork for a while has, has maybe run into them. But they're doing a concert. And along with the concert, there's also a, a workshop. You don't have to go to the workshop to go to the concert, but you, you have the option of going to both. Um, there's also a workshop that's being run by uh, SK Vibes Kareen, 
who's a, an Afro kind of Afro American uh, dance teacher, so to speak. Yeah, and she's running a, an incredible workshop. There's also uh, some video that goes with it. It's a, it's a reflection really on people who aren't from Cork but have settled here. Yeah. And uh, and why bringing their culture to the city? It, it's really incredible. Well, you only have to look at something like a St Patrick's Day parade, Matt, to see that level yeah. of diversity. Now, the different kinds of music and the new Corkonians, as it were, from the four corners yeah. of the world, and great great to see them. What is resolution? Resolution. Resolution is going to be running in Plugged Records on Corn Market Street which is a lovely, lovely, lovely spot. It's a uh, it's an informative, uh, almost a music, music education workshop. So there's a musician from Cork, Keen Sweeney, 1000 Beasts, uh, very, very successful, brilliant musician. He's actually going on tour soon. He just released his, his debut album. And he's doing uh, a workshop essentially on how music gets made. Uh, you don't need any experience to go to it. You can just show up and watch. He'll have all the stuff there. And he's going to be taking recordings on the evening from the room for the people in the room and making music with it and, wow. and, and showing people how music gets made. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be incredible. Live yeah. sampling, like. Yeah, exactly. That's that Showing is, how it's all done. Like, it is a festival that's effectively, isn't it, a student project, which is probably what makes it most interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's a big part of it. There's very little conventional programming. Everybody kind of came into it and went, okay, I'm going to do something ambitious, I'm going to reach left, I'm going to do something interesting that maybe I wouldn't do if this wasn't, you know, like you said, a student project. Yeah. And because of that, like everything is so just highly conceptualized and you know, interesting yeah. and yeah, no, it's great. Rebound Arts Festival, you'll find all the deets on, uh, on, on the web and on social media. Matt, I wish you well with it, Matt Corrigan. Of Rebound Arts Festival. This is its first year. It is the the, the whole. It's, I think that the, the the buzz. The whole festival is a student project, which is so so cool. Mere Saturday, big big afternoon of football on Premier League Live on ninety six FM with Trevor Welsh. Live coverage of Everton versus Man United at twelve thirty. Arsenal v Brighton at three o'clock, and Aston Villa against Spurs at five thirty. All powered by Talk Sport. The Premier League live online with now streaming live Premier League action with a now Sports or Sports Extra membership. And you're listening Saturday on the Corks ninety six FM M app or on ninety six FM dot ie. Right. Who have we got? What the hell did you bring that for? Put it away. Just here. Put it in my purse. Tell me, good lord. Melanie. Hi, TJ. You're going to watch the movie again over the weekend? Yes, definitely. <laughs> What's the movie, first of all, and who's the voice? Oh, it's Tom and Louise. Uh, Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon, yeah. I, I had to, I have to my shame, having seen it years ago, I had to look up who played what part in it. But, <laughs> but now, like you, and I think like Fiona, I'm probably going to watch it again over the weekend. Right, from Middleton, and you're heading off uh, with 200 euros in our Blackwater Motors, uh, 250, rather, in our Blackwater Motors giveaway in association with their annual demo and used car event. Thank you for that, uh, Daily Winner, for today. I think I need to be out of here. I do. We're done. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 